0: Well, I can't believe that I am the one that gets to preach this weekend. I could not be more excited, in fact, I'm not supposed to preach this weekend, I beat up uh, Pastor Matt, he's backstage, somebody should go back and check on him. Um, This is the weekend everybody wants to preach, Um, to be able to uh, join such an incredible group of young people and declare the goodness and the faithfulness of who God is. There's not a whole lot that's more exciting to me personally. This is a church that for over 30 years has been built on the foundation of servant leadership. And servant leadership at Northland has been modeled by the high school and middle school students here. Back in 1992, it was one of the first things that got me interested in Northland was watching the way this community went after young people raise them up, not just for, for as, as Kaylee said, not just for the future, but for the now. And so this is a church that believes deeply in investing, coaching, mentoring, discipling the next generation, and raising them up. Yeah, it's, it, it deserves, they deserve our applause. So I'm, ex- I'm so excited to be here. As you know, we're going through a, a series right now called Cultivate. We're going through... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this is in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. It's the first of five sermons or discourses um, as, as biblical scholars like to refer them, but it's, it's sermons. This is the longest one in the book of Matthew, and we're going through the Beatitudes, which simply looks at uh, the attitudes that we should be like. And so we're looking at what Jesus says and how he contrasts uh, the way of the world versus the way of Christ and so we're going to be getting into that and so I'm so excited but what I want you to do right now is is first just put yourself in a place of imagining what it must have been like to be floating out in the Pacific ocean 64 million square miles. It's a lot of salt water and this is the situation that Louis Zamperini found himself in it's a true story, some of you might remember this, um, you've, you've seen the movie Unbroken or better yet read the book, if not I'm not going to spoil everything, I'm only going to get about halfway through the story, but true story, Louis and ten other of his comrades, this is late June 1943, they, they get on a plane, a B-24 bomber. Now these, these bombers were highly uh, technologically advanced in their time, but they, they were actually breaking down quite frequently because the military needed them so desperately for, for the World War II taking place at that time that they, they just put them out there before they were, were really ready. In fact, statistically, if you read, five out of six of these B-24 bombers actually crashed not from combat, but from uh, engine failure and so here Louis Zamperini is is floating in the ocean after he heard the dreaded words come over uh, on their plane from the pilot Philip prepare to crash the engines were going out and they knew there was no hope they were out deep in the Pacific they were actually out looking it was a rescue mission so they weren't even with other planes they were all alone and they crash and there's only three survivors: Louis, the pilot Philip, and, and another crew crew member named Mac. And they and they gather what they can, which is two life vests or uh, two uh, uh, what do you call those rafts? Two rafts. Tie them together. They dig out the provisions: a little bit of water, a couple chocolate bars that are supposed to last them only a couple days. And all of a sudden, one day leads to the other, and it's day 27 that they're floating, malnourished, hungry. They've only collected a little bit of water from the rain to hydrate them. They've occasionally, still never could figure it out, that deep in the ocean, a, a bird would land on the raft, they would grab it, eat it raw, become extremely sick. It's how they survived. And then day, day 27 rolls around. And they hear the sound that they wanted to hear. Engines rumbling in the distance. And as exhausted as they were, they began to gather themselves and, and get up and cheer and wave their arms. And Louis grabbed uh, the flare gun and fired two shots in the air in the direction that the plane could see it. They took the dye that uh, was a powder and, and, and put it all around the raft in order to, to, it was like an orange dye that would make a marker for the plane to more easily see. And they waited, and sure enough, the plane turned, and it started coming their way. But then they heard another familiar sound. They heard the firing of a machine gun. And the plane was not an American, not an ally. They were, it was actually a Japanese plane, and they were firing right into the rafts. The men jump out into the ocean. The plane passes. They muster the energy to get back into the rafts. They're exhausted, realizing now how defeated the situation really is. And then they hear the plane turn and come back for another pass. Only Louis had the energy to jump out of the raft. The second time, the other two men stayed. The plane came and the bullets riddled the water. Louis, meanwhile, to make matters even more interesting, he's now swimming in shark-infested waters because sharks had been circling, now they're getting into a frenzy, they think this is a feeding time, so he's using training that he learned uh, when he was on the base in Hawaii on how to fend off these sharks while he's trying to get back on the raft, dodging bullets, finally comes in, the raft is half full of water, the plane carries on, the other two crew members were unscathed by, by the bullets and they're laying there exhausted, no chance, their lips were chapped, skin burned, the raft was deteriorating, they were, their skin was yellow from, from the dye of the raft that was melting and coming undone. For those of you that live in Florida, you know what, what it's like when you put something out in the yard for too long, and that's the state that these guys found themselves in. And day 27 turned to 28, 29, 30, 31, and it wasn't until day 47 that they were rescued and they weren't rescued by Americans. They were rescued by a Japanese patrol ship, and they were taken as POWs. And if you ever have studied that time period, what they did with POWs, things went from bad to worse. And that was the situation of Louis Zamperini and these two men. Imagine what that must have been like, that hungry and that thirsty. They interviewed Louis later and asked him about the incident, and he said this, people tell me you're such an optimist. Am I an optimist? An optimist says the glass is half full. A pessimist says the glass is half empty. A survivalist is practical. He says call it what you want, but just fill the glass. I believe in filling the glass. Jesus also had something to say about hunger and thirst and being filled. And we're gonna look at that right now in in a text. Uh, Thanks so much Kevin. We're gonna look at that in a text, Matthew 5 verse 6. This is the text. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. What does that mean to be blessed? What I want to do this morning is I'm gonna recap um, what the word blessed is and we're gonna look at hunger and thirst for righteousness and then I want to tell you some stories about what God is doing with the next generation. We cannot miss this weekend and and you hear some of the amazing things that are happening. And the way hunger and thirst and the leadership of these students go hand in hand. First of all, blessed. You might remember Pastor Matt has been teaching us about this word. In fact, uh, one of our our student ministry staff, Jamila Millet, she taught at a recent youth ministry event here a few weeks ago. And she was talking about hashtag blessed. Have you ever seen that on Facebook, on Instagram, on social media? Um, People do it for all kinds of different things. It's kind of a a little, it's a popular thing to do now. Um, You know, you get a new iPhone, so excited, selfie, hashtag blessed. And you feel so great until a couple weeks later your buddy who was actually waiting for the right release of the next model, he gets the next one and he's hashtag blessed with his picture and you realize oh man, I've already got the old model. That's that's the world's definition of blessed. Blessed being this idea of happiness that comes along like happenstance. It makes us feel good in the moment, but it's lacking uh, the depth and the significance and the fulfillment that lasts much longer. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching that this word blessed is really a satisfaction that is only going to be met on Christ's account. There's no other way. It's only through Jesus that we as Christians, as a church, can say in the peaks and in the valleys, on any part of our journey, we can say, I have contentment. I can be fully satisfied in this moment. And it's seeing the world through the lens of how Jesus sees it versus the lens of the world. But what about hunger and thirst? Besides Louis and and that story and that, that picture of desperate need for hydration, for nutrients. What do the scriptures say? I'm going to look at some Old Testament uh, verses as well as New Testament. I'm not going to comment a whole lot on this, but hear what, what the scriptures say that remind us of what God's compelling us to when it comes to hunger and thirst. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The psalmist says, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it come everyone who is thirsty come to the waters also you that have no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price the prophet Isaiah showing that God's economy works differently you have no money you're invited you have nothing to offer come the invitation the table is open to you God's economy working differently Jesus was with some some folks and they we're talking, and he said to them, "For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world." And they said, "Sir, always give us this bread." And Jesus declared, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." Or, as St. Augustine so wisely and succinctly stated, "Thou made us for thyself, and our heart is restless. Until it rests in thee. And so this, this whole picture of hunger and thirst, we have extremes like in the case of Louis Zamperini, which I'm sure none of us hopefully would ever experience. But I also believe that Jesus was using these words very intentionally because we deal with hunger and thirst every day. And so I think he uses these words very practically to remind us that hunger and thirst for righteousness is something that should not only be as intense as when you are, when you are at the mercy of needing that, that next cup of water, like those men in the Pacific Ocean, but it's also daily. Think about it. We use a lot of expressions, right, to talk about how we're hungry, how we're thirsty, if you don't get food or if you don't get uh, something to drink as, as often as you need probably get a migraine, get a headache. You don't get food, um, we have all kinds of expressions right to talk about how we're hungry. The, the, the easy ones, I'm starving, I'm famished, um, I'm ravenous, I could eat a horse um, but I was looking up some others that I thought were much more fascinating that I had, I had not even heard of before or I guess I'm feeling peckish You know, if you want to be really sophisticated about um, your hunger. I could eat an ox between two bread vans. Not heard that one before. My belly thinks my throat's been cut. I actually like that one a lot. Um, I could eat the north end of a southbound bear. Jackie, Sarah and I, we were talking about this. I mean, we finally figured it out. If you think about it for just a minute, being so hungry that you could eat the north end of a southbound bear You know what side of the the end of the bear that is. Um, That's how hungry you would be. That's my new favorite. I say it all day. I say it every day. Nobody really knows what it means. Um, Or my favorite, uh, Winnie the Pooh, right? I'm so rumbly in my tumbly. Um, My son is nine. Uh, My daughter's here. She's a freshman in high school. And in our house, um, the pantry is always empty. Not because we don't fill it with with food and snacks, but because our nine-year-old son eats everything instantly. I'll go to, the kids are in bed, go to get a late night snack, I can't find anything, I'm going up and down, I'm looking deep into the cupboard, I'm looking, I'm down down low, I'm in the freezer. All I can find is wrappers, stuffed underneath couches, or behind the couch, or under the bed. The kid has to eat all the time, right? You've seen those kids that just, they're burning so much energy. Jesus is saying to us, we need to have that same type of appetite in pursuing righteousness as we would in the daily need that we have for hydration or for, for nutrition. We've got to pursue righteousness in the same way. And so what I want to do real quickly, and, I, and we won't geek out too much or for too long, but I want you to look at this word righteousness because it's it's. Typical that this happens often when you're translating from the Greek uh, into the English. And righteousness is one of those words where this happens. Righteousness means so much more than what it appears at first glance. When Jesus says, blessed are those who are, who, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, what does this word really mean? Of course it means right and rightness. It's in the word. You see it right there. And so one side of the coin definitely is making good choices, doing the right next thing. That is a part of righteousness. It's a part of how God grows us and we grow more in the image of Christ is we're pursuing as individuals how to be made more in the image of Christ through the decisions that we make every day, the right decisions. But the other side of the coin is this justice piece. And you have to look at the whole of Scripture to see this from Old Testament to New. What we see and what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 5 is that righteousness isn't just about making ourselves better. It's not just self improvement. Righteousness is about relationship. Righteousness includes those that are around us. In fact, righteousness is what makes us be able to have a relationship with our Creator because justice had to be done for our sins, forgiveness was needed. Blood was to be shed. Only Christ could redeem us. And so our righteous standing, the way that we are justified and made right in in the presence of God is only because of the justice that Jesus sought on our behalf. And so we're going to talk about how does that look for us to not just pursue righteousness as individuals, but it's a communal holiness. That's what God has called us to as a church. It's not just for my good. It's for our good. But before I do that, let's go in and look at several aspects of righteousness, and then I'm going to tell you some stories. To be filled with righteousness um, requires at least three things from the Scriptures. And so I've, I've I've boiled it down to these three for today. It requires, first of all, the person of Jesus. John 7, 37 and 38 says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. It's not just pursuing the right thing, it's pursuing the One who is right. Christianity is about a relationship. You know that. It's not about rules, a checklist. It's about pursuing the One who is righteous and makes us righteous. And that's what we're reminded of in Matthew 5 God continues to build a confidence in us as we begin to understand who Jesus is, who he created us to be. And our purpose and our place and our fulfillment becomes more complete and meaningful and understandable while we're on this journey. The second is to be filled with righteousness requires a position under God. Romans 5:17. for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man. Let me just pause there. Basically, Paul is going all the way back to Genesis. Genesis. Um, If the sin of the one man, Adam, caused death to reign through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? It's an incredible picture. Adam Sin, death, Jesus, conquered death, new life. Our position under God is changed because of the grace of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. This is actually a great picture of how the middle school program started here at Northland. Living under grace is what we call our Saturday night middle school ministry. It just happened last night. Hundreds of kids were packed in the rink. By the way, with all this rain... Uh, for those of you that remember the rink days, it still leaks like crazy. Um, there's buckets constantly everywhere, and I'm imagining that's going to be the theme of the summer is um, how, to, how to keep the carpet dry. Uh, but we were over there last night watching middle school students do what you just saw here, worshiping God, pursuing Him understanding more the grace that comes through Jesus. This actually started back in 1993 as best as I can remember it. I was an intern with, uh, I was just in college and came down for the summer um, in between my junior year and senior year of college and, and we took a busload of high school students and we went to Washington uh, DC for a conference. Sarah did you go on that conference? You missed that one. Um, We go on this conference, and on the way back, it's late at night, everybody's exhausted. All of a sudden, I notice a few of the reading lights come on in the charter bus, and there's some talking going on in the middle. And so I got up from the front and kind of moved over to the middle and sat and listened and began to hear stories of these high school students share about what was so impactful in their life when they were in middle school. And one by one they began to share stories of the way a high school student had come alongside them and made them feel like they were the coolest thing. Even though as a middle schooler, we all know we're not the coolest thing in middle school. And it hurts. And, it, and it's a painful thing to go through. And they all recognized the amazing leadership of high school students that encouraged them mentored them, took them out for ice cream. By the time we got back to Orlando, they had come up with this statement that they said we want to create a middle school program where middle schoolers feel and know that they're the coolest thing since sliced bread. That was their motto and it went on everything. Everything that we printed, shirts, we want middle school students to know they're the coolest thing since sliced bread and in 1993 launched that middle school program, Living Under Grace, or what we call Lug Rocks now. And I'm telling you, it's alive and well. You'd be amazed at watching these 6th graders, 7th graders, 8th graders on their knees praying, these high school students speaking into their lives, a picture of the church intergenerationally advancing the kingdom and taking the gospel into new spaces. That's what's happening there. Uh, But this next piece that I want to look at, the the third piece, uh, is the people around us. Righteousness involves justice and a paying attention to those that are marginalized, those that are on the fringe, those that are often overlooked. That's the description, the definition of righteousness that Jesus is giving here. The psalmist says your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. I love that, for the animal lovers. Why people and animals? Because the psalmist is reminding us that righteousness isn't just about how we become more holy. It includes how we look after those who cannot look out and look after for themselves. And we've all been there. That's our story. Every one of ours. Somebody else looking out for us. Inviting us in. Any, anyone in this room who's a Christian could share a story of somebody that reached out and shared Jesus and expressed faith in times of discouragement, times of pain, times of transition. And Jesus is reminding us this is the type of people and community and church that we're supposed to become. And so it's no surprise that when you you look at the student culture, when it comes to this word righteousness, the justice piece is a big deal, right? You know that with students, social causes, social injustice. There's not, I I can't think of a topic that agitates students more than watching injustice take place. And you see it happening in our country right now, where students are rallying together, They're, they're disgusted, they're angry, they're watching things go down that should not be going down, like happened in the last 48 hours. What's become so routine now, another shooting at another school. Students are angry. There's an injustice that's taking place and the church has an opportunity to rally together and point everyone to Jesus. And this has been happening for a long time. Uh, You know of examples of of other revolutions that have taken place around the world. We could go on and on with them. I'll just mention a few real quick. Students in South Africa during the apartheid period. Lives that were lost to stand against the racial division that was taking place. Students in Ukraine, what's called the orange, two rev, two different revolutions, the orange revolution and what's called the Euro Maidan or Maidan uh, revolution. Students rallying in the square over political injustice that was taking place. We have partners there in Kyiv and, and we, we will visit with them and, and often walk through that square. And as we walk through, they'll, they'll explain, this is where we set up a tent while it was snowing and where we, we made soup and handed out blankets and prayed with people. This is where people came to faith for the first time. This is where we introduced Jesus to people. And then you can walk a, a few feet over and there'll be bullet holes. And they'll explain what happened in that, in that spot. And then you can go a little further and they'll be mid-sentence and just start weeping because a friend, a young person, lost their life in that spot. Righteousness is costly. There's a price to pay for righteousness and Jesus paid the ultimate price. And He's calling us as a community to follow these students as they continue to wave the banner of injustice and to call the church forward into ways that that the church needs to be making an impact. I want to tell you a few stories of of the way students are practically doing this. It's not all um, revolutionary square type of stuff, but I'll tell you it's as deep or even more so um, impactful in what's happening in this community. Did you know that high school students, 25 to 30 of them, every Tuesday morning at 5.55, not p.m., but a.m., gather in the rink to pray, to be in Bible study. Yes, there's donuts, there's bagels, there's coffee of every type. There's probably some energy drinks as well. And you would think we would keep it super light or that they would want it super light. They're semi-conscious, they're stumbling in. Um, It's the opposite. 45 minutes of intense Bible study, opening God's word, reading scriptures together, talking about them, praying together. That'll happen this Tuesday's our last one uh, for the semester, and then we'll start it a little bit later over the summer. Um, but that's loss. It's an incredible picture. We tried to cancel it a couple weeks during spring break, and they are like, no way. This is the highlight of the week. This is what anchors us uh, and centers us back on the person of Jesus. Southwind and Christmas Camp, middle school and high school conferences that we do, you guys have no idea the life change that's been taking place in in, in these conferences, these retreats. Southwind is the middle school, um, Christmas Camp is the high school, kids coming to faith for the very first time. Students who are are committing their lives to Christ, students getting baptized, the amount of life change taking place. Lots of other stuff, senior life prep, things that we do with seniors as they're graduating. We just had our baccalaureate service this past Wednesday night, an awesome time to celebrate these students and what God's been doing in their lives. The weekly program, Setup Crew, this afternoon in about two hours we'll have a ceremony for all the freshmen that gave every Saturday night these last two semesters to come and move chairs. They set them up, they take them down. They clean up all of the shaving cream mess afterwards. They're the ones that create the space for all the ministry to happen. They don't lead small groups. It's Servant Leadership 101. It's the stuff where you've gotta just get ready to uh, get your hands dirty. And these students have come every Saturday night. And this afternoon, they'll receive a Bible from their leaders. And they'll be encouraged towards what's next for them. They'll be the small group leaders. of of next year uh, as as middle school students are placed in different groups they'll be the small group leaders and they'll continue to be trained Um, loyal worship night just an awesome way that God is using this leadership that you saw this morning leading us in worship calling and rallying seven, eight, nine churches in the area to just meet in a backyard and worship together there's no program I don't even know if there's any adults there Um, and they, they just worship and they're begging God to come do something in our schools, on our campuses, in our community in this city. These are students that are leading us. And lastly, welcoming refugees. I'll just mention this, Serve Day missions trips, many of you have been on those, but welcoming refugees. This is something that we've been doing the last few summers. We load up a bus, take about 20 students up to Jacksonville, visit with world relief who is, is one of the primary receivers of refugees uh, in the state. And World Relief Jacksonville invites us to come and chaperone these children, many of whom have only been here for a few days, from Syria, from the Middle East, from Africa. And they come, can't speak the language, barely have their feet on the ground. And these students walk around, communicate with them, show the love of Jesus to them. The debriefing that we have when it's over, you can't even imagine. High school students going, I used to think a lot about Muslims, now I actually met one. And it's a real person, and I understand things a little bit differently now. Students who uh, would interact with these kids and all of a sudden realize, I've never met a refugee before, but I sure have a lot of opinions about refugees, and it changed because of their interaction, and being able to see the opportunity, the justice side of loving and welcoming and inviting the stranger and the alien into this new land that they've just come. So what does that mean for us? Church, we have an incredible opportunity for every generation to be involved here. This weekend, specifically, is about investing in the next generation. We're going to sing here in a minute and, and, and continue the proclamation that we've started. And I'm going to be inviting you to consider a variety of ways that you can participate. Um, not all of it involves small group leading. Not all of it requires that you get covered in shaving cream or that you have to go on a retreat. There's all kinds of things that you can do and I'll get to that in just a few minutes. But before we get there, I want you to see a real life story uh, through a video that, that we put together. The team worked on this and it gives you a great snapshot of what God is doing generationally through this church and the impact that's happening. Watch this. The cool thing that happens for me in that role is I learn just as much from you as you learn from me. And I think that's the beauty of how Christ is and how community is. is It's not just the older pouring into the younger, it's the younger pouring into the older. You come into middle school, you don't know anybody. When I was in middle school, I didn't know any high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of take you under their wing and um, show show you how to do life, basically. And then when you get into high school, you get to do the same thing all over again. So being a freshman, I'm in Setup Crew now. And so it's so different because we're really supposed to be um, just servants that aren't seen. And so we're behind the scenes for a lot of things. I definitely believe that Setup Crew's been a year of growth. I think not only with my relationship with Christ, but my relationship with others. How do you feel about having, about being led by high schoolers? Like, is that a fun thing for you? Is that an awkward thing for you? What does it look like? Um, well, I didn't really know all of them when I started, but then once I got to know them better, it was just really fun to get to know them. And you have Angel. Yes. How is it having Angel as a leader? Does she come in and hug you every time she sees yes. you? She calls, like, she pretends that she's. Um, and my sister's sister also. Does she really? So she calls our parents mom and dad sometimes. (laughs) That's so great. um, I think that it's so different um, as a sixth grader, as like an 11-year-old, to see, um, you know, you see these high schoolers as the coolest kids. And it's um, so much more impactful in your life to see the people that you really look up to and want to be like, um, have that example of Christ. Middle school and life. someone give a message and so then kind of the point of the small group is to have that being talked about and have students um, learn more from you guys on what the message is about. It did feel hard sometimes in small groups to really feel like you could open up and like be raw with that many, you know, people staring at you. Um, But I think as you know, the three years, we really stuck with the same group. And so as that, as those years progressed, we felt like a lot like a family. Well, my group gets sidetracked a lot uh, (laughs) off the questions. You mean a bunch of girls get sidetracked? No way. (laughs) But um, we're going to try to all get together Mm -hmm. over the summer. We have summer Log Rocks too, though. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. So you can bring them to that too. Well, luckily for me, we have some pretty amazing adult leaders, including this lady sitting right here. (laughs) She has been such a great light in my life. And for the past, what? Five, six, six years. years. Yeah. She would just come to me and just say, how are you doing? And depending on the season I was in, it would look more positive. And then other times it was a bit messy. Yes. Maybe a little bit messy, <laughs> which is okay though. I mean, yes. that's what we, that's how we live life is messy. I get to watch you grow up and pour into Lola. I get to watch Lola grow up and pour into Rachel. And for me, it's um, watching God be faithful if we're faithful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's Jesus' promise to us and he's fulfilling that promise even in the way he continues to raise up the next generation. Isn't God good that we have such incredible young people that love Jesus so deeply. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote in the scriptures, follow me as I follow Jesus. Church, let's follow these students as they follow Jesus. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna actually ask you to stand and we're gonna sing this declaration together, asking God to continue to do the great work that he's begun. Let me pray. Father, we're amazed, first of all, at your faithfulness. We're in awe of the work that you continue to do, Lord. We're so grateful for the way this church has been am- impacted over the years, the way students 10, 20, 30 years ago were shaping Northland to be what it is today, and that students are doing that right now to shape your kingdom and your church for the now and for the future to come. So God, thank you that you would be so good, so faithful, so generous to us. Lord, we want to we stand with these students and pursue righteousness alongside them. Father, we want to be passionate about the causes that burn inside of them would you cause us to come alive to be awake to pursue you and the people around us in the way that your son Jesus taught us and that we see modeled in the next generation and God may we see our city changed may we see school campuses experience renewal that we've never seen before workplaces, neighborhoods. God, would you do a great work wherever anyone is worshiping and joining us online, but I pray that specifically for Central Florida, for Longwood, for the zip codes right here around us. God, we need you. Would you bring your Holy Spirit? Unite us. Cause us to have a passion for the salvation that you've given us and the salvation that you extend to others. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to bring the gospel into those spaces. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.